Assalamualaikum and hi everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Social Business Podcast brought to you exclusively by School of Business and Social Sciences from Al-Bukhari International University. I am Dr. Nawal with you again in this episode to share with you about another interesting and successful accredited social enterprise called Naskits. Before we get on with the interview, let's get to know about Naskits for a little bit. Naskits is a Malaysian accredited social enterprise based in Jitra, Kedah. They empower local young women through entrepreneurship by training them to create clothing, particularly baby and children clothing as well as other products and also selling them online to sustain themselves. So for today, we are lucky to have the founder of Nas Kids, Ms. Baitul Husna binti Ahmad Zamri, to agree for an interview with me to share about her experiences and success stories in handling Nas Kids social enterprise. Now, for the next part, let's hear the interview with Ms. Bai from Nas Kids social enterprise. Assalamualaikum and good evening, Miss Bai. Uh, how are you today? Waalaikumsalam. Uh, very, very good today. Uh-huh. So I guess uh, we are, uh, you are at home, is it? Because of the pandemic, because of the EMCO? Yeah, currently it's, it's EMCO in Jitra, so there's no way to go except home. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm at home as well because I'm from Alusta, so I'm here at Alusta. So ah. I can I still cannot go outside. Uh, we are all all the lecturers are working from home. So I hope we can stay strong and healthy to pull through these trying times in the midst of this pandemic that has been going on for so long, right? So I guess uh let's start with the interview, okay? Sure, sure. So, Okay, for the first question, um, can you please tell me about the history of Nas Kids? I mean, how it was formed and basically what it is all about. Mm, okay, uh, Nas Kids basically it's a social enterprise uh, where I created on two thousand fifteen, and it's basically a social enterprise that empower the local young woman here in Jitrakeda through entrepreneurship. Uh, by how we created Naskit as a baby clothing brand, the traditional one. And we trained the young woman on how to make the clothing uh, for the first step. And then uh, in the future, we, what we, will, uh, we will train them on how to handle the online business as well. So it is, on, is it only for baby clothing or you have other kind of clothing as well? So we started with only baby clothing, but because mm-hmm. of the pandemic last year, we started uh, doing few other products like the mask using Songket, which is basically an extra from whatever waste that we produce uh, when we make the baby clothing. And we also produce some lanyard from Bati and Songket. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, um, uh, you started with uh, meaning you are just training uh, the women in Jitra on how to uh, create a business of their own, or is it uh, under Nas Kids? So as for now, what we do is we equip them with the knowledge on how to make the product, and then uh, most of the time our beneficiary will stay with us uh, as long as two years or above. But if they want to quit and they want to pursue their own career or they want to make by their own, then it's up to them. And we are very 
gladly to help them or guide them on how to do so in the future. Mm, okay, so usually in terms of delivery of the products, uh, do you handle it? Uh, do they handle it? Uh, it is. Uh, it, is it handled by NAS Kids or is it handled by uh, the beneficiaries? So as for now, the beneficiary only handle on how to create the product. But okay. this year, we we trained few others. Uh, only few beneficiary that we trained early this year on how to manage the online business as well. Mm-hmm. So you conduct training uh, as in classes or uh, online or how, how do you conduct the training? Uh, so when we first started, it's uh, the way we do, how to say it? I mean, when we want to get a new beneficiaries, so mm-hmm. instead of doing the normal interview type, like how the company did one by one, we did it in, a, we we do something like we call it a free uh, sewing class and we invite 20 people to come in. And from there, that's basically our interview session. So from there, we see, we don't see how uh, how skilled the people are during that time, but we see how willing are they to change their own lifestyle and to learn. So these mm-hmm. are the criteria that we choose for during that uh, during that free class. And then, so basically, if you if you are not accepted or you are not uh, on board in last case, after that, you still get something uh, to bring back home. Uh, so for the training, meaning, uh, do you choose the the people that you you train, or is it open for public? Okay. Uh, so for the first one, it's open for the public. So it's basically a basic one, and after that, only those that we choose, we give them into what we call it uh, the the second training and then only there's another advanced training so we pick them from the first basic training itself mm-hmm. okay okay so um uh back to the basic of the formation of nas kids how mm. did the idea how did the idea of your business come about i mean how did you come up uh, with you know this sewing training uh, uh business you know so it's quite a long story but to make it short um I'm a person that um, come from a family business background. So my mom had been doing a business on tailoring, uh, personal tailoring for, I guess, 20 or 30 years till now. So I'm I'm very interested on open up my own business. So I told my mom, I want to start a business. And she said, okay, you can, but you have to do, you have to work three years after your graduation. So that's how it goes. Uh, right after working for three years, I quit my job, come back here. I start last kids. But of course, the long story is uh, I failed the business on the first year, which was it was long before that. It was 2014. I I wanted to make something. I, I have the name of last kids during that time, but I don't know what to do. So we started with few other uh, businesses, but then it was a failure. And what I did was on 2014, I quit everything and I went out for volunteering. And then at that time, when I volunteered around, I went to Laos, I went to Cambodia and even in Kuala Kedah. So in total, I go out volunteer for one year and I was like, oh, it, it's basically fun to help people. But in the same time, I was thinking, how can I sustain myself if I keep going out for volunteering and how can I keep helping people outside? Uh, when I can just have people around me. So that's where 
the idea of social enterprise came in where I studied about it. And then I was like, you know what, instead of going out and volunteering, why don't I find out what's happening around in my area, which is Jitra. And that's where the idea of Naskits came in because the first beneficiary that I get was uh, the former staff that was working for my mom, which currently she's become my supervisor. And, and we started with only one beneficiary and now we grow into more than 50 that will be that was impacted directly or even indirectly. So basically that's how Naskit's been formed. Uh, it's it's just based on uh, my passion on volunteering for helping people and also how can I get money to sustain it. Mm-hmm. So basically you just started with only one beneficiary and then it came, uh, how, how did it spread? Is it by word of mouth or is it by you promoting the training? So at first, on the first year itself, uh, it's more into words of mouth, but of course, working with the community community it's quite hard to get trust from the local community especially uh, so then after we have around at that time around three to five beneficiaries on the second year only we started open up our uh, the basic class for public and that's when uh, people around like interested to join in but at first of course there was like um what's for them uh, if they get this free training, what else they can get. And of, of course, for us also, we learn our own mistake whereby at the first time when we do training, we teach them from A to Z, like from top to down on how to create a clothing. And from the community side, when I know how to make a product, why should I work for you? So, yeah. That, yeah, so that's kind of like things that we learn on uh, the journey of building last kids. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, what about the name, the Nas Kids? You know, uh, d- does it come from anywhere? You know, the name Nas, maybe. Uh, how do you come up with the name Nas Kids? So that's the interesting story where only my family knows. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. Nas Kids, uh, meaning it's a combination of my uh, parents' name. So, and Eza is my parents' name, Naslawati, and is my mom. Azak is my father, which is Ahmad Zamri. Kids, which mm-hmm. is me and my sister. So basically, uh, during the first three years, it's me and me, my sister, and my mom are the one that uh, the the main people that are managing Nas Kids. So basically, Nas Kids meaning our family. Okay, so uh, so you're the founder of Nas Kids. So meaning your family works work with you as well. Yes, I'm the boss. <laughs> <laughs> so you have uh, your mother and your sister working with you. Yeah. Uh, so my mother in charge of the tailoring uh, part. So she's the one uh, handle for the production line. And my sis are the one handling the marketing. And I'm handling more into partnering and venturing out. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, to the next question, uh, what is your key driving force to become a social entrepreneur? You know, bef- even before Nas Kids, I mean, uh, what makes you feel like you want to venture into social entrepreneurship? I guess deep down in myself, I know that I have a very high empathy. And at first, it's kind of an issue because it's very easy for me to feel uh, not guilty, but to feel pity on people and I keep wanting to help people but in the same time 
I do realize that if I keep helping people or there, I guess there's even a quote about saying, uh, know when to stop when you keep giving. So basically for me, it's not, it's not about know when to stop, but know how to expand it. So mm-hmm. instead of stopping giving, how can I still give to people and help people? And at the same time, we can grow together as a, uh, at first as a, co- as a company and of course as a community because most of the beneficiaries is basically the community around us. Yeah, because I'm quite amazed with uh, social entrepreneurs because I can see that nowadays, I mean, uh, people are are targeting to maximize profits, maximize profits, you know, sometimes at the expense of the consumers. So I guess there's a lot of uh, a lot of issues in there as well, you know, so people have been uh, have been tricked, have been fooled and, and have been uh, affected by all this uh, false advertising and things like that. So I think uh, for people who actually do business out of good conscience, uh, mm-hmm. such as yourself, I think it's it's a very benefit beneficial for our students to actually take it as an example, because whatever that you are doing is uh, very exemplary, and uh, I hope the students will uh, will uh, because we have business students in um, Al Bukhari International University. So mm-hmm. I I I and uh, our niche area for Al Bukhari. International University is actually social business, so this is which is why uh, we are doing this podcast uh, uh, interviews with uh, we we have done with other uh, social enterprises as well. So that's why um, uh, I think it's quite interesting uh, for for the students will to listen to this podcast, you know, uh, to know about social entrepreneurs like you. <laughs> so uh, kudos to you for being a social entrepreneur. Thank so, you. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So, I'm sure you are passionate about uh, social entrepreneurship, right? So, yeah. was it was it uh, more of an advocacy or a career path? For me, I would say both. Uh, but if you ha- if people ask me to choose, I would say it's a career path for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first thing is, it's fit on what I want to do. Uh, when I was still a student. So basically, as a career path, basically being an entrepreneur, you can uh, you can have your own time. And of course, people thought, even students were thinking that being an entrepreneur is easy because you can, you can have all the times for you. But the truth is, you have to work more than uh, if you're working in an office, it's just nine to five. Mm-hmm. But working yes. for yourself, you work more than that. But the good thing is you're working for yourself. You're creating something that you dream of. So basically, uh, for me, it's a career path. And advocacy is because that's where my passion is to help people. So combining both is what I choose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think both is actually the right uh, the right way of thinking it because uh, of course you are a, an advocate for helping people, right? So uh, for you to be involved in social entrepreneurship will of course include the fact that you are passionate about helping people as well as uh, uh, producing good products, right? Uh, 
So I right. guess uh, uh, in your career path, you can say that uh, you are creating uh, products as well, not to only help people build career, but also to uh, to make uh, people have a good lifestyle, meaning like uh, for kids to wear uh, nice clothes, right? And with uh, probably uh, beautiful designs. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, I mean, of course, for students that hearing this, uh, how to put it in words? Well, it sounds easy to be a social enterprise, but it needs more on patience and creativity because, of course, uh, you have the burdens on you to balance between making money and helping people. So there's no, I mean, of course, people will say, oh, you have to do 50-50. But the thing is, it's sometimes have to be 70-30 or even sometimes have to be uh, 60-40% of uh, making profit and helping people. Uh, because as a social enterprise, you have to make money to help people. If you have, if you don't earn any money or if you don't make any money, how can you help people around you? Because money comes first and only then you can help people. Yes, for the most part, the money, that, the profit that you gain, you will use it back uh, to help the community, right? And also yeah. the beneficiaries as, uh, as well, for them to have uh, a good working environment and also good training skills, right? Yeah, exactly. And also like uh, in last kids, so this is interesting part about pandemic. When the pandemic hit last year, mm-hmm. suddenly we are so common to hear about work for, working from home. When for us in Naskit, we had been doing that uh, since the first year itself because the first problem that we tried to solve in Jitra were basically the, the, the young women in Jitra, mostly they get married early, 18 and above. And when they get, they get married early, uh, most of the husband, they don't allow this wife to go out and work. So they, they still, in the same time, the husband told us, yes, we, don't still, we still can't have enough money to survive but I do not want my wife to go out. So that's where the solution that we give, why don't, okay, let's say you give your wife to us like maybe one week and we train her for one week. And after that one week, she will be at your house. We will give all the materials that you need, the machines, uh, all the way from the big, from machines all the way until the track or even the, the needles we will provide. Your wife just only have to use the skill and we will pay based on the skill, not not based on the items that you have to prepare by yourself. Mm-hmm. So that kind of thing that we started in last kid. And then suddenly last year, we started hearing about working from home. So it's kind of like, well, we did it before people. So it's not really affected in, in a way of the way you do your work, basically, right? Yeah, exactly. Because we give them the machine and this machine, we give them option. Either they want to take it by themselves or in other words, either they want to buy it or they lend it. So basically, if they want to buy it, uh, for example, if you bought the machine for 2,000 ringgit, they have to pay until that amount. So we don't charge them more than that from, from the price that we buy the machine. And we put a minimum uh, minimum payment, uh, at least 30 or even 50 ringgit per month, because this is what we want them to be disciplined uh, uh, to pay money to people. And if they said, no, we don't want the machine, say, okay, once they, f- they finish the contract, like for example, a year, then after a year, they have to return back the machine to us. But most people, as for now, everyone take the machine. Okay. Hmm. That's, that's a good uh, strategy over there. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's like you are genuinely trying to help them, you know, in terms of even the resources on how to uh, to make the product, right? So, um, and then I just want to know, um, uh, how do you, okay, uh, for the next question, uh, how do you build a successful customer base? This is in terms of how do you recruit uh, your beneficiaries, meaning how do you take in your beneficiaries, as well as how do you handle the customers who, how do you get the customers, uh, I mean, how do you build a successful customer base in terms of the NAS Kids uh, brand of clothing in general? So it's basically a two different questions, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, First so is uh, how you take in the beneficiaries. So the way the way that we take the way that we take the beneficiary is uh, like how I mentioned just now. We open mm -hmm. up the free class, and from there we select our beneficiary. But most of the time, we do have a characteristic uh, that we choose. First is mm -hmm. they have to be from a B forty family. Because this is where we came in. We want to, we want to change them from B40 family. At least now they can go up to the median 40 uh, groups, mm -hmm. and and they have to be from in the same area as us. Because then it will be easy in terms of the logistic and also in terms of the arrangement and the age. Uh, we we have the youngest is 18. And as for now, we only have people below 40 years old. So that's for the beneficiary part. And, and all of them mm -hmm. are, are women. Mm -hmm. So only in the Jitra area? Yeah, only in Jitra area. But however, mm -hmm. we do get a collaboration with a few other NGOs whereby they send their women and then we train, we help them to train. So this, uh, So for this group, they are basically outside of Jitra. So this is mm -hmm. what we call like in the indirect uh, beneficiaries, meaning that they don't come directly under us, but they could come as part of a partnership or even a collaboration. Mm -hmm. So meaning, do you how do you advertise your uh, on how you're gonna take in the beneficiaries? How do you um, uh, advertise to your potential benefic beneficiaries? So we use Facebook most of the time and also Instagram. So these two platforms, are the one that we use widely in Naskits. But mostly mm -hmm. if we need more audience for the beneficiary, we use our Instagram ads and we, we pay the advertisement, but when we only focus for Jitra area. Okay, uh, so uh, for, uh, for the next part of the question is how do you build a successful customer base in terms of the customers that buy Naskits clothes, clothing? Okay. This is interesting because I mean, that's how hard to be a social enterprise. You have to balance between uh, taking care of your beneficiary and also taking care of your customers. One is about making money and one is about uh, how you spend the money. So as for the customers, we mostly rely on the words of mouth. Uh, and that's where doing MPV is very crucial in business or uh, we call it the minimal verbal product. The MVP, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm, so when, when we first started the business, we don't start with a baby clothing because we don't we don't even know where to go at that time. So we started with clothing uh, based on what we have. So the business, the family business that I have is doing tailoring. So we start from there. That's the basis that we have. And then I was like, okay, instead of doing for adults, let's try do for teenagers. So that's our first product is for teenagers, basically. And we publish online. 
and surprisingly, uh, we keep because we keep engaging with our customers, and customers keep asking us, "Do you have smaller size? Do you have smaller size?" All the way until the baby size. So that's mm. why we focus on baby size. And then uh, people said, "Okay, now you have a baby size, but we want something unique for our baby to wear during Akika." So that's where they come up the idea for on making tengkolo and also uh, the something for baby, which basically a, a headgear and the the waist gear that the baby wear, which originally was been wearing by adult during a wedding, and then mm. starting from there, we start to get a customer based on uh, what do you call it, words of mouth, because first is our product is unique. At that time, nobody else did what we did for the baby. And our size is very, very niche, in, whereby our size start from zero. So size zero is for premature baby below 3.5 kg. And then when this happened, when, when the words of mouth happened, we get the attention of the celebrity, the local celebrity. And they are the one, after that, they are the one... Uh, connecting to us and ask if we can sponsor the babies. So we did. So over the time, we grew our number of customers because of words of mouth whereby, for example, when, uh, for example, again, uh, Sita Riza have a new baby boy and suddenly mm -hmm. she said, oh, we want to do a kika for a baby. Uh, what kind of, what kind of clothing or where can I buy for our baby? So most of the time we get all the texts by customers saying, oh, you can buy, you should check out Naskits, Naskits, Naskits. So basically we are not the one blasting about our brand, but then we get, we get help by people, other people to blast about our brands. And then, uh, of course, when the customers see, when the local celebrity wear it, it means that our product is good enough. So that's where the trust built in. And that's where the number of customers increase uh, yearly. And as for now, what we do, we we put more on money in terms of uh, marketing in Instagram advertisement, also Facebook. Mm -hmm. So I can see that uh, the way you do your business, uh, since you are a social enterprise, right? So I think you are more personal with your customers, right? So meaning yeah. you you actually uh, be more involved with the customers, which make it uh, which makes which which makes it convenient for you to know anything that uh, is unique that you can do for them, right? So meaning yeah. you can have uh, products that are customized uh, to their own liking, and some, and even and these things can get to the celebrities. So I think that's a big plus for uh, Nas Kids, right? So I think that's a very successful tactic uh, for you to be more personal to the to your customers and also your beneficiaries, right? Yep. Yeah. So, uh, for the next question, um, do you, uh, you you mentioned just now you have some collaborations, right, with other organizations, uh, that you take some indirect uh, beneficiaries, right? Yeah. So, uh, 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 can you please elaborate on the collaborations with other organizations? And if so, uh, who are the people or what organizations have you collaborated with? So, as for now, we have not really engaged uh more with the other NGOs, but it started when the pandemic hit us uh, last year. And when we start with the initiative of making our fabric mask, because at that time during the pandemic, we cut, we basically lost around 90% sales from the baby clothing 
nobody gonna buy baby clothing during the pandemic. So that's where we shift our product into the fabric mask during the first week of EMCO, uh, which was March, uh, March 2020. And when that happened, uh, there are few NGO that's also trying to figure out what they can do. And particularly there's one, which at that time we just uh, engaged, which was Yayasan Sutanah Bahia, uh, which was, uh, that one is owned by Tunku Putri Intan Shafinas, the princess of Kedah. Mm-hmm. So at that time, they say they do have women that they engage with their own community that know or even have a basic skills to uh, in sewing. But the thing is, of course, the same thing happened to us. It's happened to them, the their women, which is they can't they can't make money in making clothing because at that time you can't even go out to celebrate Hari Raya. So what happened? They they invite us to have a discussion on how can we collaborate at that time. So what we do to what we do, we said, yeah, why not? Why don't you join us? And you can just send your woman to us for free, and we will train them on how to make fabric masks. And after that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's just only three days, three or four days. So we engage around three up to three to ten of their uh, women on how to make fabric masks and in the end of the training they can go home and they can make by themselves and they can sell to the people around them because at that time during the first EMCO uh, if you realize uh, the what do you call it the first pack at the one pack for the mask itself cost around 200 ringgit or even almost 50 USD which is ridiculous uh, in terms of pricing and at that time no, very mask, expensive yeah exactly and at that time fabric mask was like Everyone's looking for it, but you can't find it anywhere. So we were like, why don't we just make it? And now we train other people to make it. At least they can survive for themselves. And also they can earn money by doing that. Okay. Do you have any uh, future collaborations that you have in mind? As for now, uh, we do have future collaboration. Uh, I'm thinking of doing with few others NGOs. Uh, one of it is a corporation, which is Alliance Bank. Because what I want to do is in, instead of just giving them, giving my beneficiaries on the how to do skills, uh, which is now is how to do, how to create the baby clothing and how to sell it online. I want, I want to make a class or something about financial literacy. Because knowing mm-hmm. about the B40 community, most of them, I mean, the reason why they're still in B40 is because they, they don't really know how to manage money well. That's how people do. Uh, basically, those that in T20 or even M40 above. And that's where i really looking forward to the collaboration with Alliance Bank because they are, have a very strong background in financial. And perhaps by that, once they know on how to manage the money well, and then once they can get more income, and then hopefully they can go out from the poverty of B40 groups. And basically after that, they can give back to the community as someone that hopefully can pay tax in the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, do you plan to uh, take beneficiaries from outside of Jitra? As for now, 
Not really, but hopefully we will. Uh, yeah. I'm Maybe after the pandemic. <laughs> yes, because yeah. I'm looking forward to open up like a small scale of Naskit uh, in Sabah. Mm-hmm. Because I see there's an urgency to do it there with the current pandemic and they... I mean, I do have few contacts there. That's one. And the other thing is, it's also part of my exit strategy for Naskit. So mm-hmm. my vision for Naskit is for the community to run this business by themselves in the future. So it, it won't be just me, my mom, and my sis in the future. It's going to be the community itself. That's why the first phase of training is in ho- on how to make the product. The second phase will be on how to handle the business online or even how to handle the business. And then the third will be the financial t- uh, literacy. And hopefully once they master all these three, they can run the business by themselves. And the reason why we do training is, uh, especially the the sewing training, we basically want to, to make something like a TOT, train of trainer. So these people that we train, uh, for example, the first batch that we train, after six months, now they are master in what they learn. So after six months, we're going to open up another free class. And now the free class will not be teach by us, but now we'll be teached by the first batch of our beneficiary. So we want this kind of cycle to continue in the future. Mm-hmm. So uh, in Al-Bukhari International University, we have this uh, program of social business uh, design lab, you know. So uh-huh. uh, uh, for the design lab, we actually focus on uh, people in Bali and sick, you know. So we also provide uh, some training for them, you know, and usually we collaborate with other companies as well. You know, so uh, mm-hmm. they uh, because uh, because in social de- business design lab we cater for three uh, areas, uh, which is mm-hmm. zero net uh, carbon emission, poverty, and also uh, uh, un- unemployment. So maybe in the future uh, we can collaborate uh, for and we can invite you to give training uh, for the community in Baling and Si. <laughs> for sure, I mean, I mm-hmm. I I. I I kind of like, I mean, it's triggered me when you say about this three zero because it's basically yeah. by Prof Yunus. And yeah. uh-huh. I've, I've met Prof Yunus a few times. Oh, uh, really? Oh, yeah. that's interesting. <laughs> I even went to his office in Dhaka, the Yunus mm. Center. Uh, yeah, we are closely really uh, the Al Bukhari International University has a lot of uh, uh, really uh, connections with uh, uh, Professor Muhammad Yunus actually. So we actually have him uh, like an icon of Al Bukhari International University. So that's why we have all the three clusters, you know, the unemployment, poverty, and zero net. Uh, carbon emission. So we have been having programs uh, in mm-hmm. Bali and Sikh because they have the uh, uh, some of the lowest uh, uh, poverty rate. So that's why we uh, target on Bali and Sikh. So we do uh, provide training. Like before this, we train them on. Uh, we have we have the students uh, finding some people from outside that can train to do business on their own, like what you are doing. You know, so I guess uh, maybe in the future uh, we can uh, collaborate with you uh, to give training to the people in Bali and Sikh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from from my point of view, I see mm-hmm. on how we do business is Naskit is basically it's replicable and can be done if, within any community around Malaysia or even outside of Malaysia. So it's kind of like how to say it something like 
the business model is kind of easy to be to be copied and and to be used by other community outside yes okay so uh going to the next uh question uh how do you market your business and which tactics uh have been most successful how do Other I, than, okay, you have mentioned about uh, you market how you market your business is through online, right? Yeah. So, uh, which tactic? I mean, like, do you have any other tactics other than the online, or maybe if uh, in the online uh, tactic, uh, which has been most successful in gaining the beneficiaries to be interested and also for the customers to be interested to join us kids? Okay, so this mm-hmm. is the interesting part because mm-hmm. after. After almost more than five years in the online industry, uh, we kind of feel comfortable being online. That's one. And then we see that online platform is a very, very strong platform, even before the pandemic time. And and for Malaysian customers and also Malaysian beneficiaries, and this basically very general for Malaysians in particular, they only have trust or they only have confidence in you or in one brand based on how strong your online presence is. For example, for my customers, they're gonna look after our Instagram, which is Naskits, and look at how many followers we have. So currently we have around 30,000 followers, which is quite strong. And because of that, uh, I mean, even last year and this year, most of our, most of our new customers they feel confident just to directly buy because during the first year, uh, when there's no, I mean, we are not as strong as now. During the first year, we get a lot of questions from our customer. They're gonna ask, how how comfortable is your products? Why should we buy your products? So what kind of materials you use? So as for now, once we put our, our presence strong in online, people don't really ask us that kind of question uh, at all. And the other thing is not just Instagram and Facebook. We also uh, sell our products in Shopee because Shopee is now our number one shopping platforms in Malaysia, right? Everyone has Shopee in their their phones. So what happened was we invest money uh, for the advertisement in, in, not Instagram, sorry. We invest money advertisement in Shopee so starting last year, we are very comfortable in Shopee. Currently, this year, we have around uh, 2,000 five-star ratings, almost 2,000 five-star ratings. So by having that, it's basically built another confidence for a customer to buy a product through Shopee. So even though our product is not as cheap as other competitors, they will buy it because of the brand. And they will buy it because they feel safe to buy in Shopee. And apart from that, we also been invited by Shopee to open up uh, Shopee Singapore. So that's like another uh, benefit for us to make our Singapore customer pay at a very, not low price. I would say uh, it will make very easy for our Singaporean customer to pay because before this, they have our Singapore and Brunei customer have to buy from our website and they have to pay around 200 ringgit just for the courier itself. So now, once our item available in Shopee Singapore, they don't have to pay that much. They only have to pay like four ringgit just for the delivery. Mm-hmm. And apart from online, we also venture into offline. So this year, because looking at how the pandemic is, it's got not going to be good for the next one year or two years. 
So we decide to explore on offline uh, marketing and offline presence. So, but we don't do it in Malaysia because of the pandemic. We do it in Brunei. So currently in Brunei, the pandemic is not as bad as how we are or even as how uh, around the, the world. So what we do is we rent a space in Brunei and we put our products there in the shop and our customer in Brunei can just walk in and buy your products. So basically with our experience, we're not going to say you have to focus on online only, but you have to mix both and you have to see how to maximize your presence to your audience, be it online or offline. But then from there, how you maximize your profit that you can go back and use for your community. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can see the tactic that is uh, more successful is the Shopee, is it? Yes, as for now, mm. we I can say that we can earn 100,000 in Shopee in just one month uh, wow. because of, because of uh, Ramadan. Mm. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So Okay, so basically, how, how do you achieve uh, financial sustainability in whereby uh, you are not the only one gaining profit, you are uh, helping, uh, how is it going to be beneficial for your uh, beneficiary and uh, yourself as well? So to be honest, I'm the person that I don't trust on grants and loan. Mm. Mm-hmm. For the first time, so when when I first started Naskit, I only take personal loan to build the business. So in the long run, uh, I don't really trust on getting grants because from my opinion, when I keep getting grants, I feel like I have to be dependent on it all the time. So every year I have to look for new grants. So that's mm-hmm. why we focus on selling because at mm-hmm. least when we can make sales and we can make our own profit, we don't have to rely on where where our grants going to come next because now we have a consistent uh, stream of income coming in every year mm-hmm. and then but of course uh, after the pandemic it kind of change a bit uh, and what happened is we now we we kind of like uh, engage with the local government agencies to look for grants but mostly it's not a big grants mostly a small grants but then these grants is only to help us just to release some burdens on the business itself. For example, for the marketing part, like the packaging, uh, for the advertisement, and mm-hmm. we also get some grants to do our trademarks because that's happened when you sell things online, most people gonna either uh, not really, uh, not really like take your idea, but they take your pictures and put it put it up uh, elsewhere and said, this is your, pro- uh, this is your product. Mm-hmm. So, So it's also important to protect your product. Um, is that answer the question? I kind of get yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Uh, and it's in terms of financial sustainability, meaning uh, what about uh, your beneficiaries? I mean, in terms of the profits that you are making, okay. how do you distribute the the profit to uh, your beneficiaries? All right. So as for the beneficiary, we have a system whereby I call it the uh, 30-30-40, which is 30%, 30%, 40%. So uh, we started with 30%, we pay to the beneficiary. Another 30% is for uh, the management. No, sorry, 30% for beneficiary, 30% is the cost, and 40% is the profit. So this mm-hmm. profit is, is going to go back to the, the company to either uh, expand in terms of taking new beneficiaries or even to make new facility. 
So mm -hmm. because we grow up, we I guess Naskit had been grow up since 2015 from only a small space uh, that you can only put three machines. Up until now, we have two stories of shop lots, and we we just renovate our benefit uh, our facility so that our beneficiary can come and and uh, either do work here or even they can even bring their kids if they have to lah. Okay, so uh, do you have some kind of uh, uh, not control? Uh, like, uh, do you uh, how do you say it? Uh, do you monitor? <laughs> do you monitor uh -huh. your beneficiaries' uh, progress? Uh, we do. Uh, so what happened is, uh, for those that work from home, we give them a target. For example, so we have a either weekly or monthly target. So this is we. We give it up to them to decide because we try to make it a bit, uh, what do you call it? Uh, we kind of make it a bit loose so they can choose up to how committed they are. So what happens is, for example, if one month we give them a hundred, uh, at least you have to make hundred pieces of uh, clothing. So once they achieve that, then we will pay that based on that. So as for now, most of our beneficiary we pay based on how many you can make unless they work in a facility and they are permanent staff then they can get the salary of uh, a permanent uh, a permanent staff, staff like they will get a monthly payment payment so mm -hmm. yeah so payment they we have two terms either based on how many you can make or once you like maybe a year or even two year plus with us then you become a permanent and you we pay you a, a monthly salary but in the same time Let's say because we focus on Hari Raya, let's mm -hmm. say on the the two months before Ramadan, you make a lot of uh, products by yourself, which is way more your salary. Then we can we we will give that to them. We will pay the extra to them, and we make it as a bonus. So it's kind of like we want to encourage them to do more, not just to work until you get your salary and be comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, as you said before, uh, the pandemic has affected your business uh, in uh, to a certain extent. So, um, uh, what are the changes that you've made so far? Uh, I would say it's quite a lot because when the, lot. When, <laughs> when the first EMCO start, there's no movement at all. And then, of course, the government have to pay a salary for the first month only. Mm -hmm. And then now look at us, we are almost two years in the pandemic. And how yeah. can you depend on the government to pay up your uh, employee salary throughout the months or even throughout the years? So it affected in terms of our sales uh, because we only depend on seasonal items, which is the uh, traditional clothing for the for RD3. Mm -hmm. So what happened was we changed in terms of just selling the seasonal items. We come up with fabric masks, we come up with lanyard. And also, we come up with few others uh, accessories like the bags, and hand socks, and also scarf, because mm. now at least we have something that we can sell that can give us income for throughout the months for us to, to survive. And mm. secondly, the way we work. So the good thing, as how I I informed just now, the good thing about us is we already in instill uh, the way of us doing work from home. So it's basically not really a new thing for our beneficiary to just stay at home and do work there. Uh, as for us, 
during MCO, the business owners, we can still move around. So that's where we uh, we go to the house and we either we collect the products from them or we send them a new one. So that's kind of transaction that are happening during the pandemic. And then thirdly, it changed our way of doing marketing. So because we we mostly heavily, uh, how to call it? We heavily focus on online selling only. When the pandemic happened, our own customer, our niche customer, which are mostly M40 or T20 com uh, community, they do not want to buy our fabric mask because for them at that time, we do not get any approval or even there's no guide from uh, MOH on how to create a fabric mask. So at that time, we changed our marketing and also we changed uh, our audience of customers. So at that time, last year, for the first time ever, we sell our products to the B40 community itself. So then never in my mind at that time thinking about uh, selling things to a B40 community because at that time, my mind is how to help B40 community to earn money. Mm -hmm. And so the pandemic kind of changed my mind saying that, you know what, everyone is customer. It just that depends on what kind of product you can offer to them. So we, when we when we give out the fabric mask, because at first we give it for free for the community. Of course, you know, as how poor people are, they have their own dignity. And that's when they said, no, we don't want it for free. I want to pay. I said, OK, how much you can pay? So oh, we in the range of five ringgit to eight ringgit. So that's how we our, we price our product. And we blast our fabric mask at that time using uh, our local Facebook, which is the SOJ and also Penduduk Alostar. So instead of selling online, instead of doing transaction online at that time during the pandemic, we do transaction offline. We do COD. We we accept cash from a customer because, <laughs> because you still need money. We need money to survive our own. We need money to keep paying our beneficiary at that time. So it's kind of changed of the way we do business. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's completely understandable. So um, uh, what is, uh, for, with all the things that you've shared with us, what is the biggest challenge uh, in running your business? What is the biggest challenge? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say there's two, because being social enterprise, you have to focus on making money and helping people. Mm -hmm. So in terms of helping people, it's about engaging the community. So uh, this is my own experience when becoming a social entrepreneur. When you want to engage a community and say that, oh, you know what, I'm here to help you and this is what I'm going to do. First thing to do is understand the community first, what they really need. Because the, this community, they, it's not that they don't know what they need. If you ask them what they need, the first answer will be money. And that's it. And knowing the community uh, well, so you know how to engage with them, not to react, but to engage. Because, uh, for example, the community in, in Jitra, Kada, the Malay community, for them, if they can have a meal, three meals per day, they have a roof on top of them, and they have a, a transport, either a car or motorcycles, for them, it's good enough. Why should they move forward? Or why should they change their lifestyle? And, of course, for us, for me, myself, I see that, yes, it's enough, but how about the future? How about your children? How about your future generation? Because uh, this is what I learned in Acumen, because I'm part of fellow of Acu global Acumen. 
So mm-hmm. in Acumen, as uh, what the founder of Acumen, Jacqueline said, the 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 opposite of being rich is not poor. I know the opposite of being poor is not rich, but mm-hmm. the opposite of being poor is having a dignity. That's when you when you when you have enough money or when you have more money, that's where you have a dignity to make choice for yourself. You can choose what kind of meals you want to give to your family. You can choose what kind of education you want to give your family. You can choose what kind of lifestyle you want to give to your family. So it's not about being rich. It's about being able to make decision for yourself and for your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so, uh, the mm-hmm. so uh, what do you think uh, the most rewarding experience while running your business? I mean, despite all the challenges that you face, what what is the most rewarding experience that you have uh, encountered? Uh. I would share just one uh, story or journey that we have, which is our beneficiary, the the old, not the oldest, the longest beneficiary we have with us. Her name is Atika. So she is our first beneficiary. When she joined us, she only uh, ride a motorcycle. And after a few years, after three years with us, she able to buy her own car. Because to be honest with you, I don't even have my own car. Mm-hmm. So to see my own beneficiary able to buy a car for herself to bring her family around, for me that's like a huge achievement to see, and that's like that's like the golden story that I keep telling people around. Mm, yeah, I think this this uh this it, it can be very satisfying, right? To see uh the person that you have helped to be so successful, uh, like you said. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. For the next uh, question, uh, what kind of culture exists in your uh, organization in NAS Kids, uh, for example? I mean, among the beneficiaries and among the people who work with you, uh, what are the what kind of culture that exists? I mean, and how did you establish that culture? All right. Uh, I I love this kind of question because not many people uh, ask me this kind of question, but mm-hmm. this is basically my vision when I start NAS Kids. So what I have in mind when I first imagine the kind of facility I want to build is basically I tell people around that I want to build an A-Asia uh, kind of like companies or even facility in the middle of Jitra or in, yeah, in Jitra because why would people go out of Jitra and work in KL just to experience that when I can give them that. But of course, I can't, I, I can't get like a million or even five million ringgits to build that so then I start small. That's where I build my own facility. And I make people feel uh, they can choose but for themselves, which is uh, what, what the words, I kind of forgot. So uh, so basically, even though on paper, it says you have to come to work nine to five, I mm-hmm. give them option to come when they can. So because we understand that everyone that come in, uh, all our beneficiaries, they are human, that's first. And there are someone daughters, there are someone wife, there even are someone sisters. So they have their own responsibility towards their family. So let's say you 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 can only work morning and then you have to go out to cook for your husband at noon. It's okay. Just go home, cook, get your time, take your time. If you need two hours, it's okay. Two hours, then you come back when you can. So that kind of flexibility that we try mm-hmm. to instill in the facility uh, and for example, if you have to go and then you have to take your kids uh, and you and you can't put your kids back at home, then it's fine. Just bring your kids here 
uh, we we put in Wi-Fi, everything. Your kids can work from here, and then you. I mean, that's kind of thing. Our the kind of facility we try to create, so at least they feel that they do. It, our, the the workplace is not just place for work, but it's also a, a safe place for them, not just for the for themselves, but also for the kids or even family. And mm-hmm. in terms of bonding between the beneficiaries, that's where we try to make a culture where. Basically, we are families. Uh, what we do is every year we're gonna have a trip. We call it Naskids uh, trip. So oh. we're gonna bring everyone for a ho- for a holiday. So uh, for the past few years, we had bring them to Sabah and Sarawak because this is a people that been staying in village and they never fly out. They never take a, a flight. So that's where we want to give them that experience. And when they go for the for the holiday or even vacation with not just with themselves but with their family, which we cover, this wow. create a space for them saying that you know what this is, everyone's family here. It's a safe space. If you have anything that you want to share, this is where that you can go. So that kind of culture that we try to create in our kids. So I can see the culture is very family friendly and very uh, it caters for the uh, for women, actually, you know, because women, we have a lot of responsibilities, not just uh, trying to help our husband in terms of income. We also uh, have the responsibility of educating and raising our children. Uh, so I think what you you are doing is very noble. And I feel like, uh, you know, the the. Business owners nowadays should strive to become social entrepreneurs, you know, <laughs> business people nowadays, because it's it's quite crucial for uh, our generation now that we have uh, to uh, to deal with the pollution and, and then also deal with the uh, economic uh, uh, problems and that has evolved with time, you know. So I think uh, business nowadays should focus more on social entrepreneurship so that we can and uh, help people as uh, more, you know, help people more other than just making profits. Uh, so meaning we can make profits as well as helping people. So it will be a win-win situation for the community, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, mm-hmm. okay, so uh, for the next questions, um, uh, what advice do you want to give to other aspiring social entrepreneurs? This is for the students who are listening and also the community that will be listening to uh, this podcast. Uh, I would say just do it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you have any ideas, just do it. Because without doing it, you never know what will happen. You have to make mistake first. Then only you know how can you innovate yourself or how you can change your ideas and your plans. Uh, if if your plan A, uh, you can't achieve it. Plan A, you have like all the, all the alphabets you have all the way mm-hmm. at see. So just try and as in, to be a social entrepreneur, the number one thing that you, you have to have is to be persistent. Doesn't matter how many hundreds of failures you get in front of you, uh, know that you, your life is not even a failure. If you fail or if you have a bad, I mean, if you feel like it's your bad year or bad month or bad life, it's just for that bad day. It's only that one day and hopefully next day is going to be better. So being a social enterprise, it's, and you also have to have a very, very high empathy. You have to know yourself very well before you want to help people. This is very crucial. You have to know when you have to stop. You have to know 
when you're going to burn out. So you have to take a step back and at least care of yourself first before you care of people. Mm-hmm. So I can see that, uh, I mean, uh, doing business is also about honesty, right? So you need yeah. to be honest uh, with your customers and how you do your work. I mean, ethically, uh, it should be uh, it should be uh, good ethics, out of good ethics and good uh, conscience and intentions uh, so that we can uh, truly help people uh, by giving them uh, opportunities, right, to uh, make something out of themselves and give yeah. them, it's like what, what you are doing is like giving opportunities, you know, for people to have a good life uh, so that yeah. we can all live in a peaceful and uh, a happy community, right? Yeah. So, okay, so um, uh, what kind of impact uh, that you expect from your social inter- enterprise to the society? And what do you hope for in the future in terms of your company with the community? So, of course, the first thing is uh, my my aim or my mission and vision on building our kids is to change the community, uh, the, the way of, not really the way of their life, but the way of their where they are in the economic uh, level that's one hopefully they can go up from b40 uh, because as you know malaysian we the numbers of b40s is increasing every year and it's basically uh, it, it's basically very very scary plus the pandemic everyone's fall in b40 even me i guess <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the company i hope we we are creating a company that that not somewhere or some place for people to come in and work and collect the salary. We want to create a company where people come and they feel that it's part of their life. So it's not that, oh, you have to go to work nine to five. You basically waste eight hours a day in your life just to earn money. So we do not want that. So we want some place that people come not to earn money, but at least to be with the family, which is the the people that they work with. Uh, the the place that they feel comfortable, the place that they they can do whatever they want. So, I don't want I I don't really like the idea of going out to work because work also part of life. So how can I make work fun or how can I make work uh, feel not easy but feel interesting for a daily life of other uh, community. So that's the kind of thing that I want to do in not in the future, but I hope I can achieve in the future. Mm, okay. So what I can see is like us living in a developing country as Malaysia, right? So we are the kind of uh, people who work very hard, you know, because we have uh, working hours that can extend uh, until night, you know, and then, uh, but then compared to developed countries, uh, countries like Finland or other developed countries, sometimes uh, we can see that their working environment is different from us. I mean, they don't have to like... Uh, 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 work as hard as we as we are because uh, of the uh, the situation of their country, you know. So whatever that you are uh, providing for uh, the women uh, in Jitra are quite uh, similar to what they have in the developed countries because uh, they have they are giving. Um, uh, opportunities for women to work uh, in the environment that would uh, be suitable uh, as a family 
person, you know, like uh, yeah. for you to allow them to have kids uh, coming to work and things like that. So that will is very beneficial and should be exemplary for other business to do the same. But of mm-hmm. course, uh, it will be de- it will depend on the nature of the uh, of the business, of course. Yes, yes, that's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, as for me. Just do best on what you have around you and build from there. I mean, you don't need, you don't need to have like a million ringgit. Only you can do, uh, best on what you dream. Mm-hmm. So let me just do it with whatever resources I have and then build from there slowly. But surely you're gonna achieve it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess uh, that's all the questions that we have for you today. So that was a very insightful and knowledgeable and very nice of you to share all of your experiences with us. So I really appreciate it. And uh, I hope we can collaborate in the future uh, for the projects in Baling and Sik. Yes, for sure. And hopefully after this pandemic numbers going down, I hope mm-hmm. you can also come to our place facility and visit us here. Yeah, sure, sure. Because we are not far from each other, you know. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I'm just in Alosta, and I always go to Jitra as well. Uh, I like to. I, sometimes I go hiking at the Daraman Hills. Uh, ah, yeah. Yeah. So and I go jogging at the uh, Tase. So I always go to Jitra. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully, perhaps. Inshallah, maybe next of month. Course. Yeah, I did have some plans to bring the, the students uh, to go for activities in Jitra, but then due to the pandemic, we couldn't go. So. <laughs> Understand. Yeah, yeah. So maybe after this, uh, I can uh, we can work together, uh, inshallah. Inshallah, for sure. Thank you so much for your time and all the questions. It's very, very refreshing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for all of your uh, sharings today because uh, they are all so very useful for the uh, for our students and also the communities uh, listening, to, listening to this podcast. Thank you. Uh, okay, thank you very much. Have a nice day. Assalamualaikum. Assalam. Okay. Well, that's it for our fourth episode. I hope the knowledge from the interview will be beneficial for the students of Al-Bukhari International University and also the community in general. Don't forget to stay tuned for more interviews with more successful social entrepreneurs and also more exciting information about social business. And while you're here, feel free to check out our previous episodes where we interviewed other social entrepreneurs from different accredited social enterprises. Thank you for listening. Till next time. Bye-bye.